You're listening to the North Country Conservation Series. I am your host, Whitney Lewis, from the Coas County Conservation District. Join me as we explore local conservation-based careers in forestry, wildlife, fisheries, conservation law enforcement, soil science, agriculture, and many more. Follow along as we investigate these careers, examine relationships and impacts, reflect on the history of Coas County, and discover what conservation is and why it's truly important as we look towards the future. Awesome. Welcome back, everyone. This is Whitney Lewis, the District Manager from the Coas County Conservation District. We're here working on another podcast with Keith Robinson from Robinson Family Farm in Pittsburgh. We're super excited to have you here, Keith, and dive into talking about the history, not only of farming in Coas, but also more specific to your farm in Pittsburgh. So thanks for coming, and would you like to share some introduction about yourself? <laughs> yeah, not a problem. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yep, so located in Pittsburgh, um, third generation farm. Uh, hopefully in the future, daughters or my nephews will take over on the fourth generation. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, a little bit with us, uh, wife and I back in 2008, um, we kind of basically started the farm back up um, due just to different reasons and uh mm -hmm. we got awesome. we got back into we got into beef and we basically started off with one steer we bought in the spring pastured an area where the old pastures used to be and uh butchered it that year had our own meat in our freezer and then uh That's after nice. that we decided to expand to a few more and then from back in 2008 starting from one to today we're currently at 40 head of beef Oh my goodness, that's a big, so, big change. Yeah, and it all Great. took in, uh, you know, steps. Uh, of course, the farm went on a buyout back in 1985 when mm -hmm. my father used to have dairy cows and they went on the buyout. Yeah. And he had to sell the cows. He kept, uh, he had some beef cows back back then till about 90, around 90. Back at some of my notes. Yeah, no, look back. You have a huge family history, so take the time you yeah. need to reference. It's good. Yeah, they, uh, they sold it back in 93, um, all the beef cows. So basically from 1993 to 2008, there was no animals on the farm. And uh, local, the other farmers down the row, neighbors, um, would hay the crops and everything. Yeah. And we kept the pastures kind of brush hogged and everything. So that's basically one of the reasons why we kind of, back in 2008, my wife and I, is to help keep the land clean and everything instead of yeah. going out there, spending hours brush hogging and keeping everything clean. We figured let some animals do it. Yeah, so absolutely. That's, that's kind of how we got into where we are today. Cool. That's awesome. So how many acres do you have on your farm? Uh, grand total is 250 acres. Awesome. And is that was that passed down generation to generation Correct. as well? Correct. Uh, back when it was bought in 1945 from my grandfather, Eric, um, that's how he bought his, that whole farm. And it's been established as the whole 250 acres. Nothing's been subdivided or nothing. Nice. That's so, great. It's great to have that yep. much land, especially with all the animals that you have now. <laughs> yep. You need that much land. Oh, <laughs> the only thing that has added i guess for a building is just my house uh with my yep. wife and i that we built um and then that was uh that's we built that back in 2000 and uh it'll be 2007 we built that 2007 2008 we built that 
Nice. So that was the last major building that was put on the farm. Yeah. Well, that's kind of a, a necessity. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. Awesome. So what are some of the skills you rely on every day to successfully run your farm? Yeah, you're fine. It's like right in the middle. Yep. So I'll get yep. So yeah, we uh, <laughs> so the skills that we rely on is you know we kind of we work with our neighbors. Um, yep. Currently, right now, there's no other. There's only one other neighbor or person in town of Pittsburgh that has beef cows on the other side of the mountain. Um, oh, wow. You know, we work with him a little bit just to, if he's in a bind, we go help him out. If I'm in a bind, yeah. they come and help neighbor us helping out. helping neighbor. That's important. Yep. That's what we, you know, yeah. a lot of times we do. And then I got one other neighbor down on our road. They sold out back in 2005, but they continue haying their hayland and sell um, oh, round bales and square bales. Good. And so we kind of have a working relation, help each other out there. Nice. And that's how we've kind of, you know, that's how we... One of the things to be successful in it, um, yeah. also being involved with our Coas County Conservation District on yeah. grants and just asking questions. And if we need assistance, they're very helpful on helping us out. Yeah, we love helping you guys out. <laughs> and it work, you know, it works out great. And I mean, um, you know, later on we'll probably talk about one of the grants that I applied and received and helped us out really good for our manure and. Um, cattle management yeah so Absolutely. and you know like i said um i've went to school for equipment operation and diesel mechanics so that's a oh nice big help for us where we don't have to really rely on major cost on having a mechanic i try right. to work on my own stuff that's good that's for most part. definitely helpful correct cool that's awesome so I know you have a huge family history. So do you want to take some time? Let's go back and look at that family history. Yep, we can. Yeah. Awesome. So I know between the years of 1900 and 1943, it was a little bit spotty for information because that was so long ago. So I know you did your best to find out what you could. Um, and I appreciate that. And of course, anyone out there listening, if you have any more information that you know, could add to help educate us, definitely please, please let us know. We're going to share with you today what, what we know. And um, Keith, so what did you find out around the year eight, 1900? So in the 1900s, that's when, this is all by a census record. For Pittsburgh. For yep. Pittsburgh, that Ernest Karen was the, uh, the owner of, and we believe it was the, the 250 acres of land that we currently own now. Awesome. Um, they had a wife, you know, there was wife and five children. Mm -hmm. um, supposedly, they might uh, migrated from Pocketville, Canada, between okay. 1890 and 1900. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a little, we're not quite sure if he was living over there in Pocketville. And, of course, back then, it didn't matter. You didn't have to go to customs to the border. Right, but there wasn't, So you just yeah. walked across walked the over. river and uh, went to work and so yeah. forth. So, you know, it, like I said, we're not, we're not too sure on all them details, but we feel that obviously he did buy it in the 1900s. Yeah. Um, we don't know if, you know, the reason was to work five, ten years, and then he owned it, or however that might be. But yeah, we believe that's, well, we know he was the one of the original first owners back in the 1900s. Right, then, right. 
and then the farm actually changed hands quite a few times. Um, farm sold to Alfred Adam, mm -hmm. which this gentleman was from La Belle, Quebec. Mm -hmm. And then at eight, at uh, 1909, there was uh, uh, one of the things that we've found is uh, they've harvested quite a bit of wood. I don't know if it's exactly all from Ireland or some of us from Ireland, probably most likely. Right. But uh, we have bought um, what is known as the forced, uh, it got sold, but. It was known as, that's it fine. Was, it was known at, well, trying to think of the. Known as. That's all right. Uh, we could come back to it. <laughs> it's managed by Landvest. I'm trying to think of the owners. I'll just go with that. Yeah, that's fine. So we know the land's managed by yeah, Landvest. Yeah. So okay. um, basically, it's the it's beyond our place. Uh, it's the land is managed by Landvest, um, big timber outfit, mm -hmm. and they had a re they recorded over two million board feet. That was Whoa. harvested and supposedly, uh, and they floated that right down the Hallstream River, which if wow. anybody knows Hallstream River, sometimes you wonder if there was even enough water to haul it down. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to picture this in my mind. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, that's You're thinking of crazy. a river about four or five feet of water, but yeah. in the summertime, there's only four inches of water. Right. Um, Supposedly, that's what they did. Like I said, we don't have pictures, but that's all what we've been seeing. Yeah. Um, and then after that, 1923, uh, it was sold again to another uh, to another buyer. Mm -hmm. And then 1937, it was sold to a Germain Belwin. Mm -hmm. And then from 1937 to 1943, which they didn't keep the land for a long period of time yeah yeah sold to uh roland la pearl mm -hmm. and then from 1943 to 1945 just a couple of years later that's when my grandfather bought the farm oh that's so, wonderful so exciting yeah so you have from the 1900s to 1945 where it sold uh a couple times few times yeah from, then we went from 1945 to today it's been in the same generation yeah, that's amazing. So, so that's easily 50 plus years. Correct. Yeah, that's that's great. So when your grandfather started off, what did what did he start off with for cows or what did he what did he do? So he yeah, he basically bought the farm. He got the 250 acres of land. Yeah. He had the barn, the farmhouse, and he had from what we have recorded is uh he had 21 Jersey cows, 9 Holstein cows. Mm -hmm. Uh, a couple Durham cows and a couple Ashier cows, a little bit of a, a few others. Right. Um, a couple heifers with some calves, uh, about 13 calves. That's what was recorded on the deed. Nice. One gray horse and one red horse. <laughs> that's uh, I awesome. Guess, I guess that's how they identified all their horses as what color. That's, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> and so from that, you know, they had the, the like a, it wasn't like your traditional pipeline it was just the old, um, they called the milker. A lot. I know when my grandfather started, actually they were milking by hand. So it mm -hmm. must have been the buckets to what they would put into the milk cans. Oh man, a lot uh, of work. Scott and I just covered that. Yeah, yeah. A, lot, a lot of work. So lot of it, that, you know, that's where the herd is. It actually, small, it's a small herd of cows, right. what they bought. 
but as we go along, you'll see how the herd grew. Yeah. And, you know, they had a few, a little bit of, it was all uh, haying equipment. It was all basically horse-drawn equipment. I was going to ask that. Yeah, so horse-drawn, so, okay. You know, they had a, a, a hay loader which and a rake and the harrows, which those were all horse-drawn. Right, not, not a tractor. Nothing with tractor. Yeah. A um, couple of horse rakes, wagons, manure spreader, which the manure spreader, that was horse-drawn too. Wow. So, and a couple plow, you know, a set of plows, um, and then, you know, they got all the harnesses for the, um, for the horses right. and everything. And then one of the old things I kind of like, and we don't have it on the property, which would have been pretty cool if we still did, but a 1937, uh, Chevy dump truck. Whoa. So that, that must've been, uh, <laughs> that must've been a big hit back then. That mu yeah. He must've been traveling in style with that. Yeah, absolutely. And so when my grandfather bought that, he had to work on the farm for about five years and yep. where we have an old tractor shed currently is where he was actually living for them five years and actually that's where um and it's a small tractor shed i put two tractors in there and it's crammed tight and he was living in and that. and he was living in that and wow. back in the day where you had the it was a dirt floor and you had a carpet right over it and you took it out every spring to clean it um yeah. my father and i believe two of my aunts of course, they were small, but that's right. where they started growing before they actually officially owned the land and the farmhouse where they moved to right. now a nice farmhouse. So really, they, they made something out of very little. They had very little, Correct. and they made something wonderful out of that. It's just, it's the American dream. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. And so basi work. basically, yeah, they uh, he had to work for it, and he had to, uh, it, the farm cost 5000 back for the purchase fee back then. $5,000. So, wow. Can't yeah. even buy a tractor now for $5,000. No, no $5,000. <laughs> Maybe a lawnmower, but that ain't going to get yeah. you too far. You ain't going to go too far with $5,000 <laughs> right. today. Oh, my goodness. But back then, I'm sure that was that was so much for I'm them. sure, yeah. You're looking at back then. Today, we're looking at what well, they're looking at, $5,000. Back then, that's probably close to like, I'm not going to say $5 million, but in the near yeah. towards a million. Absolutely. It's like, wow, that's a with, big chunk of money. land and all, all the everything. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Wow. Yeah. So back then, like say 1950-ish, how many farms were on, you're on Hall Stream Road, so how many were on that, that road uh, then? So yeah, back in uh, back then, around the 19th, there was uh, eight farms that were in operation making milk. Uh, as far as size-wise, we're not really sure. Um, there was fine. a couple bigger ones and yeah, a couple yeah. smaller ones, but there was, yeah, eight farms, uh, like I said, 1950, and then um, as that kind of went on, it, every couple of years, somebody would drop out, somebody would right. drop out. So, yeah, there's, that's, and to today, now I'm, like I said, I'm the only one with beef cows and one that does hay. So we right. went from eight farms, roughly dairy farms, to right. now, actually, there's no dairy farms, just really, well, there's no dairy farms, just right. with me with the beef cows. Exactly, and Scott was just saying, he's the farther most farther most um dairy farmer in coas county now in, in columbia and he's in, i was just gonna say that he's in columbia so you got two other so you, towns yeah you got some towns in between where there, there's no dairy farmers there's no dairy farms yeah wow and right now in pittsburgh you're pretty much the only farm in pittsburgh or is there a couple little farms too there's a couple little ones i mean the only there's only one other farm like i said on the other side of the mountain on indian stream valley 
that has, I'd say, around 30 head of beef cattle. They're doing about the same thing as what I am. Right. Um, it would be Roy Amy, and they're just, you know. Oh, keep, Roy Amy, he's a wonderful guy. Yeah, just trying to, you know, preserve the land, keeping everything yeah. clean, kind of like what I'm, the same practice I'm doing. Right, and right. do something to enjoy himself. Yeah, so. absolutely, and keep you out of trouble. Yeah, try. <laughs> yeah, so looking again back at your at your family history, I see that um, an International Harvester Super Sea Tractor was bought. Yep. That's pretty exciting because that made farming, came to a whole new level, going from horses to now having a big tractor. Oh, yeah, especially listen to the story, especially when the tractors came out. That's when, uh, that's when I heard a lot of exciting stories came around. Oh, I I'm, I'm some of them getting flipped over and oh, no. getting stuck. And yeah, there's a. Uh, I can imagine. So, yeah, there was an upgrade for uh, also, you know, for my uh, grandfather and also for my father and my uncles and aunts and everybody that had to be around to participate in that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, obviously it's changed the way because yeah. now you're going from, it's time consuming. And when you got to tractors, Right. Your your time is you got more time to do things and right. not as labor intensive. Right. So. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Uh, like a lot of the, uh, so a lot of the now you know, back when they got the first tractor, mm -hmm. a lot of the hay equipment that was horse drawn, of course they couldn't afford to go out and buy everything. Right. So they started converting a lot of the horse drawn equipment to pull type. Um, okay. Making a hitch, adding a hitch, and a couple other things. Okay, um, they kind sense. of fabricated and just making it more or less a, you know, just to make it work. Right, and right. And as over time you know, came, they would upgrade their equipment. Right, absolutely. For sure. Yep. So kind of fast forwarding a little bit to say like 1953 to 1979. Uh, you talked a little bit about Eric, which is your, your grandfather. Correct. So he went to work at the Ethan Allen Furniture Store. So was that to kind of help continue to provide, I'm sure, for the kids trying to work on the farm and also work there? Like, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, so the, when they were growing up, I mean, my grandparents, they had 10 kids. So God bless your grandmother. God yeah. bless her. Oh, my gosh. I have two. I don't know how I could do 10. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, basically, you know, of course, there's an age gap. And yeah. so the older kids would work at the barn and everything, yeah. milk the cows um, obviously, as we're going through the equipment, there's getting to be more equipment involved. So there's a mm -hmm. lot more investments and money. So right. to help out, my grandfather went to work in Beach Falls, uh, Ethan Al Furniture Factory. And right. he, was, he was, you know, just to help out with an extra income. Mm -hmm. It was right down the road, about seven miles from the place. So it wasn't too far. Right, right. And, Absolutely. Yeah. And then my father was the oldest. So... Um, he got into doing a little bit of logging on the property. They had Christmas oh, trees back in when he they were growing. Oh, that's and, nice. You know, they did Christmas trees and a lot of brush to make the wreaths. Right. And, um, yeah, then he also did uh, chickens. He had over 400 chickens later. Oh, my goodness. That's a lot of chickens. That's a yeah. lot of eggs. That's a lot of eggs. And he would um, bring that to the local, either sell it to the local people or the local store. Right. And just to help make an extra little income. Yeah. No, so. that's, that's great. He was, sounds like a very busy, very driven man. Yeah. Everybody was in the, in the whole family. Yep. Yeah. They all had their own part to do. And uh, they stay, like you said, they stay busy and find creative ways to make extra income. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So fast forwarding now to say 1960s, 
What what happened during that time frame? Well, that's when, as time changes and then regulations and rules change sometimes. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you know, you have you have to keep up with what's happening, and so they had to. They were milking basically by hand into the little milk cans and strainers. Right. They had to upgrade their milking equipment, and that's where you had got your ball tank and you had to cool your milk. Um, yep. And they had the like basically the milk buckets. Um, you know, it was a milking machine that would put it into a bucket, but right. everything was all pretty much closed, closed loop, so no contamination. Mm -hmm. And their milk was getting picked up every two days, every other day from the milk truck and all to the haul to the milk plant. Wow. Not really sure where they were shipping their milk, but right. it was to the local milk plants. Cool. And when they got to that, you know, milking cows with all the, right. this upgraded system, they went up to 46 cows that they were milking. Plus you had your heifers and your calves. So the right. farm was almost at about, not quite a hundred, but at least 75, 80 cows. That's that's a lot of cows. Right. So yeah, they and having had, to feed all them and make your own feed, yeah. Correct. And then that's when they had to really get start looking to invest in on the onto the land, you know. Because right. more animals, more feed, more pasture. Right, yeah. So it creates a lot of challenges. Yeah, absolutely. So you kind of mentioned a little bit about equipment. Can you explain a little bit more? I know you said we talked in 1965. You said Eric purchased uh, some haying equipment. Yep, he went around and yeah. He, so he bought. You know, they used to pick all the hay up all loosely and store it in the barn. Now, when you got more more cows, you need to find easier ways. So they bought the first baler rake that was actually to pull behind the tractor. Yep, yep. Um, a lot of it is through auctions up in Canada or uh, in town, the old Mora auctions. Uh, I guess a lot of the old generation really remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, because they used to, before they used to buy in a lot of their, um, a lot of their hay, not all of it, but most of the hay from Canada when the prices were low. But right. then as the farming changed, you almost had to be sufficient. You almost had to make your own hay. Mm -hmm. So that's where they were. And yeah. started investing in a couple more tractors. Uh, you know, they end up buying a Super C, and Ooh. then, uh, and then there was one tractor. This was one of the first brand new tractors. It was an International 434 that he bought, gas job, and awesome. it was either new or it was a year old. Um, there's been argument on what's the what happened on that amongst the family. <laughs> So, oh boy! <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It, so on that one though, we're pretty excited. We actually still have that tractor on our farm. Oh, you do? That's awesome. Um, obviously, it's not the major workhorse as it was back in the day, but right. we still use it. it. Does our tedding and raking? Uh, yeah. My daughters run it. They That's think it's great. pretty neat how you know where my grandfather bought that. Yeah. So now they're running it on the fourth generation. So yeah, yeah it's it's pretty exciting. Um, you know, obviously, like I said. It's kind of a little 34-horse gas job tractor. That was their main workhorse to my 80-horse diesel. It's just, it, yeah. It, I just, <laughs> it's kind of neat how to see what, the, you know, what, what they see big to what I see big today. Yeah, absolutely. Seeing that big change for right. sure over the years, just technology and knowledge and, you know, time efficiency, fuel, you know, exactly. all of it is like considered to try and make the most production. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, so I see in your timeline, 1970, it was sold to Jules and Madeline. Did I say that correctly? Uh, Madeline. Yep. Madeline. And so that would be... That's you, my parents. Your parents. Yep. Awesome. Yep. So that's when a lot of things actually sort of happen. Uh, of course, uh, 1970, you know, took a few years for them to kind of, my father and my mother to kind of get into their roots of right. what they're going to be doing. So, yeah. of course... As you buy and invest, you have to kind of grow your business. So yep. they were running out of room, so they end up had to build an addition, which it's known as the heifer barn. Mm -hmm. um, and that heifer barn is actually still up and being used today. That's where we house our beef cows currently. Oh, wonderful. So, That's great. That's awesome. And I know, so we talked before we started recording about um, the USDA and grants and things like that. In 1981, I believe you said that um, you re they received funds from the USDA, correct, or something. What yeah, they re yeah they received. Um, actually, every generation of our from, from even my grandfather actually received some funds from USDA to do some uh, field work management to uh, basically improve the fields when they actually had to upgrade to their first milking uh, with the ball tank and everything. Right, and then. Right. I'm not too sure all the details on that one, just knew they received funds and help back. I uh, believe it was in the, uh, it was about between the, around the 65 or so. Yep, yep. Um, Just to help out, you know, to drain, expand the field capacity for some oh, hay. Yes, absolutely. And for then sure. in 81, I'm not sure exactly when my father might apply, he probably applied in 79, takes a, couple, a little bit of time and planning, but right. in 81 is when it all happened to improve the manure pit, um, actually to have a nice cement pad, wooden walls mm -hmm. to hold all the manure, keep it contained and everything. Okay, yeah. Because back in the 1900s when they built barns, they built it right near the source of water so they didn't have to lug nothing by pail. So there's always a brook yeah. nearby. So yeah. that's why... <laughs> <laughs> they upgrade in and put them in your pit just to contain everything. That's great. And it's great that the USDA offered programs back in the 60s, 70s, the 80s, and they're still there today to offer programs to Correct. help farmers. Correct. For sure. Because it's important. We we don't want manure right next to right next to the, your water source, your drinking nope. source. So that's great. It's, it's nice to see how just education and learning more over the years and more services out there for to support farmers. Correct. Yeah. Um, so fast forward, let's go to 1985. What, what happened in well, 1985? that's when uh, <laughs> things kind of took a big change, um, probably a little bit for the worse in some ways. Oh, okay. Uh, so that's due to oversupply. Um, you know, everybody, all farmers were expanding and this and that. Right. So, uh, basically, the milk market was getting flooded. So that's when the government uh, introduced the buyout. And that's oh. when my father and my mother decided at that time it'd be best to join into the buyout, take a little mm. break from the dairy, right. and hopefully see what, what's going to happen with the dairy. So right. they sold all the dairy cows in the buyout. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess it came in a couple different phases, but how okay. they, when the cows had to leave. But from what my mother was telling me, all the dairy cows... Um, left in 1987 okay. of that summer. So it took a few years it to took kind a of couple transition, years. figure it out. Correct. Um, like they that did, makes like, sense. They did in stages, and they, they were on the last stage of how that all worked. 
Right. Um, when the cows left, I, I, my mother said the barn had to be empty for a few days. And she says that was a little awkward. I can imagine going from generation to generation of farming and then all of a sudden no animals. It's like you're missing a piece of you. It's like right. a piece of your heart that's missing. <laughs> right. Yeah. And they had a plan that they weren't going to have no animals there. Uh, mm -hmm. My father did go out and buy, um, I don't know, 30, 40 or so roughly um, beef cattle. Yep. Um, he he housed those to, you know, because with an old barn, don't have animals in with no heat, buildings, gonna fall. De they, they decay yeah. really quickly. And so they did that from 80, uh, in 87 to 90, to 93. Okay. And then it just, with the beef market back in that time period, it wasn't really a well-paying aspect. So mm. he decided to sell out on the beef and go into drywall. Okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. So during that time frame, what happened to all the fields and everything? Yep. The fields were hayed by other farmers, our neighbors down the road. Nice. Um, the ones that didn't go into buyout. And continue, well, actually, there was only, when my father sold out, um, there was only one farm left, dairy farm left on our road until right. 2005. So up till okay. 2005, uh, they would come up and they leased the hay, the, the hay grounds and they hayed it. They hayed some of the pastures and then right. the rest of the pastures, we brush hogged it and so forth just to keep it clean and try to preserve what's there. Yeah, that's important. That's nice that you continued to keep up with that and your neighbors were wonderful and came in and helped Correct. out. You know, it's really nice to see neighbor helping neighbor. Right. We need to see more of that nowadays. Yes. <laughs> or maybe we just need to venture into Pittsburgh more often. <laughs> well, we get plenty of people adventuring up there, <laughs> that's too. True, so. That's true. Yeah. Um, so what else can you tell me back in that, you know, 2005 to 2010 time frame? Well, so back when 2005, when our neighbor decided to, you know, it was time for him to retire from dairy farming. Right. He sold out, of course. He didn't need to lease in our hay ground. Right. That's when uh, my father decided for a little short period. And that's when I just graduated high school. Okay. And he knew that I wanted to eventually live on the farm but and do something. But I wasn't right at that point. So that's okay. when he got into the program where um, with the uh, state or with the county mm -hmm. where you uh, you cut your hay fields and you just let it set. To, and okay. you did it after August first to help the yep. birds and the keep wildlife. the trees yeah. keep the trees from growing and help the wildlife. So he awesome. did that from two thousand five to two thousand ten. Cool. And okay. When 2010, two thousand ten, that's when in two thousand nine I started building my house, and that's when I I knew that program was getting out, and that's when I was gonna start working on getting the beef cattle back into there. Yeah, yeah. So you had that passion. What really, what made you want to really come back and kind of get it all going again? Well, for a couple reasons. Uh, when I, as far as when I was growing up, of course we, I mean, the cows left when, when I was seven years old. Yeah. Um, and so I don't. I remember a little bit of the beef cows, but not much. Um, but as far as growing up, when I was uh, twelve, I went down worked for my neighbor, mm -hmm. and uh, on their dairy farm, and was working there before school and after school, and I enjoyed it. Um, yeah. I knew dairy probably wasn't gonna be what I really wanted to do. Just just the way the market was at that right. time. Right, it's, it's tough. Yep, yeah. and then, uh, so, but as I graduated and started wanting to move back home, I kind of see a call like beef and all that, like people wanted to buy a couple beef cows already a year old and finish them off. So that's where I decided to start. I wanted to 
be a part of owning some livestock. Yeah. And like I said before, keep the land clean. Yeah, absolutely. And then your wife, she was your wife at the time, right? In yep. 2009. So, and she shared that passion with you and wanted to do that with you. Yep. I mean, when uh, they grew up, they had a couple of little cows when they grew up and she, they thought it was, you know, she, she enjoys a bottle feeding and. Yeah. Um, Who wouldn't she, enjoy bottle feeding a baby cow? baby calf <laughs> it's it's fine until it has to be every day seven days a week but yeah overall, that's, that's true <laughs> but overall it's actually pretty it's it's enjoying yeah so. yeah awesome is there anything else you want to talk about from like 2010 to you know maybe 2014 15 about how you guys started to expand and and make some more roots yep i mean so basically it took a, a few years for us Kind of established getting the cows, right. you know, um, upgrading all our, pa well, we, all the pastures, there weren't really no pastures, so we had to re, you know, put all new pastures up, fencing and all that. Right. Um, That's a lot. <laughs> yep. We started doing some of our own hay. I mean, we did our our own hay. We went, we were started off with square bales, had yep. the old barn to pile some hay in. And of course, it was just me and my wife and we have to work and everything. It right. was getting to be it was getting a little overwhelming that's when we started converting to going into round bales okay. making life a little easier for yeah. ourselves yeah um not have to worry about hay storage and all that fun stuff because we right. wrap our bales wrap do wrap so bales they can stay outside outside in the weather yep yep and then so as we did that you know granted the fields were hayed or they were mowed but left there so right. we had to start working on trying to get our fields up in good shape too. And okay. that's when I started um, getting involved a little bit with the Coas County Conservation District about renting out like the uh, wood ash lime spreader. Yeah, absolutely. So rented that out, bought a few loads of wood ash, put them in the fields. Mm -hmm. And then with the pastures we started, and this is where a lot I've learned a lot from like what my father used to do with the dairy cows and right. also listening to other people, what they do other farms is pasture rotation. Put, yeah. cow, put the beef cows or groups of cows in, a, in an area for like two days and then move them in another area so that area can grow new grass and, and it eliminates a compaction to the soils and yeah. it just it changes, it keep everything clean and changed throughout as the growing season goes on. Right, a way of kind of restoring and conserving and use, utilizing what you have to the best Right. ways possible. Because as soon as the grass gets over eight, eight, nine, ten inches tall, the cows don't want to eat it. It gets old for them. And oh, they get picky. They get picky. They <laughs> don't want to eat the fresh stuff. So by rotating every three days, they're always on yeah. clean, decent grass, all fresh grass. So we don't necessarily do large pastures. We do smaller pastures, okay. but multiple. Okay. And about every, like I said, two to three days. Um, depends. It depends on the season. I mean, in the springtime, I mean, it's every two days they're moving. As oh, wow. August comes right. up, when everything slows down, it's more like four days. Right. That makes sense. That so. makes sense. Nice. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Cool. So um, I know you said you utilized our, our wood ash spreader, Correct. which is which is great. Could you explain a little bit as why that's important <coughs> to, to utilize on your fields? So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, wood ash, it's putting energy back into the soil mm -hmm. and for us it's and the biggest help for us is we wouldn't have been able to do it is if we didn't have that opportunity to rent this piece of, this piece of machinery yeah because i'm not sure exactly it's probably into the fifteen twenty thousand dollar 
price range purchase on to your purchase own. Right. for one day out of the year. Yeah, that's that's a little rough. And then, <laughs> yeah, you know, to sit there and it's, it's... So if we didn't have that tool, I wouldn't have been buying the wood ash and spreading because by the time you buy the wood ash and buy the spreader, it's just not feasible. Right, that makes sense, so, for sure. And it's just like another thing that I want to start doing this... It'll be probably more towards this fall, but is uh, no-till seeding, which yeah. the Cross County has purchased and rent out the no-till seeder. Yeah, which absolutely. Which that is going to be a good asset because that was a $30,000 uh, unit. Right. And, and that was a $30,000 unit before 2020. I hate to see what it is today. Right, exactly. So, um, yeah. And that'd be another tool for, uh, I would only end up renting it for probably one, perhaps two days. Right. To own a $30,000 just to kind of sit, collect that, you know. So yeah. that's a great tool where other farmers in the area are using it. We just have to coordinate amongst everybody. And yeah. the day it's not used, I can rent it that day and do what I need to do. Yeah, absolutely. And right now it's at Scott's Farm in, in Columbia, so not too far of a drive. Correct. Hopefully yep. to, yeah, it's about it. halfway for, I think, everybody where everything is located for your for the tool rental yeah yeah absolutely well we're anytime you're ready i'm very excited to rent it to you <laughs> perfect <laughs> yeah um so i know last year we, we mentioned grants a little bit and last year we offered a grant and you guys were lucky and you guys got the grant which was amazing yep. uh, so can you tell me what you what you did with that grant so yeah we applied um for a manure pit corral yeah. Uh, grant to basically, basically it was to upgrade our existing manure pit that my father built back in the eighties. Um, the cement Great. pad was actually doing it was fine. The cement pad was fine, but the wooden walls were getting deteriorated. Yeah, um, over just, time, weather. Yep, yeah. with weather. So we replaced the wall. Um, basically, the same same thing what was there before. We kind of figured if it lasted almost thirty years what we're going to do here yeah. is going to last another third you know and what we did is because where we had the old barn where we had to tear that down in uh, about 2010 because it was just deteriorated we we're right. only utilizing the half a barn and when we were sending our cows outside they were going on on gravel dirt everything right well, springtime of the year everything is mud and right. i don't like mud so what we did is we did the corral and we allow the cows to go into the manure pit. Probably everybody's wondering why are you doing that. Well, the manure pit was designed to store for 150 cows for manure. So right. I don't need that whole entire manure pit to store manure. Right. So I piled the manure all in one corner. I allow the cows to adventure on the cement pad and we just, we stop pile the manure in the corner. Okay, yeah, makes so sense. So they got a big area to be on a cement pad where we feed them and everything and we're able to collect i'd say wow as long as, for the winter months and the spring months we can collect all the manure so nothing is going out into trampled in the mud nothing is being escaped or you know eroded you're going into the into the, soil, the brooks into and the everything brooks. Yep. yeah so we're able awesome. to collect all the manure which is great for us because manure is a cheap fertilizer for us just right. spread it in the just field spread it in the field <laughs> yeah which that'll be happening in a couple weeks and uh, yeah, so with the more manure we're able to collect, which we haven't, we keep tallies and numbers of how much we spread. Okay. Um, of course, this is my first winter with it, so I don't have the numbers right here to 
show how much I've That's gained fine. out of yeah. it. But uh, we're hoping with more manure we could spread, the less chemical fertilizer we have to buy and put out. So cost saver. Good, yeah, um, absolutely, for sure. Yep. So I have a funny question, and this is probably an easy question, but I'm just curious. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned about going from square bales to round bales. Correct. So how much can one square bale feed for an animal versus one round bale? Um, basically, what I've come figured out is that it's about 15 square bales per one round bale. 15 per one, okay. Roughly. And the other great thing with a round bale is um, I do some silage. So it doesn't have okay. to be perfectly dry. Oh, Because okay. we wrap it. So it'll yeah. go through the fermenting stage and everything, which right. holds more nutrients and protein in the bale. Okay. So better for the sense. cows too. Yep. Yeah. And you don't have to wait for a four-day dry spell weather. Yeah. And sometimes in Pittsburgh, our growing season is basically May 15th to September 15th. That's, right. And then after that, winter's setting in by right. October 1st some, some years. Yeah, absolutely. So you've got a small time crunch to get our crops in. So that's where the round baling has really come forward for us. Just yeah. more efficient lot quicker right and we can make all sorts of different types of hay like silage hay right. or dry hay and we just wrap everything right how many round bales do you typically get each year do you know uh, we average about uh 400 square uh, round bales 400 yeah. wow so if we can make a little more that's great then we just sell our extra right and uh last year we made a little bit extra but i i held on to it just because I don't know what this year is going to bring. Bring for weather don't. and everything, yep. I don't remember if it was last year or the year before, but I know one year it was getting kind of like, oh my gosh, like we need hay. I know some local farmers down where I'm from in Milan yep. were like, okay, we got to get some more hay here. Yeah, so two years ago, it, was two, uh, years, it yeah. was two years ago, yeah, second cut wasn't great at all just because we didn't have a whole lot of rain and everything. Mm -hmm. And then last year, um, we had more hay because we had perfect moisture everything was perfect everything the stars aligned everything make it was perfect. <laughs> perfect and we had hay i was getting sick of hay and i'm like this is you know <laughs> but when you had a high volume of hay stored instead of worrying about trying to do three cuts in a year which is known i mean a lot of places down here in lancaster they do four to five cuts right but you can get into cropping into october and right. it starts growing a lot earlier where we are in Pittsburgh, you just can't. Our, our timeline of growth. I do three cut, three cuts usually. Right. But last year I didn't have to because I had such great first and second cut. My third cut, we were able to pasture the cows out into the big field and just oh. let them go eat it on their own. Oh, I so, bet they're pretty happy. Oh, well, they were happy, and I was happy because it's fuel savior, time savior, right? Less wear on the equipment. Absolutely. So that was that was good. Yeah, absolutely. So just to finish up that timeline, what would you say, what are you hoping for for the future for your farm? Well, we want to keep it, like I said, as a farm, hope animals, we're hoping um, either my one of my two daughters or mm -hmm. I've got three nephews, we're mm -hmm. hoping somebody will, uh, they all show different ways of an interest. Um, That's good. But they're also very young. Yeah. So we got to see what, how things go for them mm -hmm. and hopefully one of them take over but as for my wife and I we're going to continue doing what we're doing and we're always going to invest in trying to make things better yeah um 
and just keep on learning new new things. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you for sharing your whole family history of your farm. Yep. That, that was awesome to hear how everything's like grown from so much from so long ago to what it is now. It's it's amazing. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Um, awesome. I think we talked a little bit about the Pittsburgh farm history, how you said how there was multiple farms and now, you know, there's only um, there's only, I think, one or two, your neighbor. Right. Yeah. Is there anything else you just wanted to mention about the Pittsburgh farm history? I think we pretty much covered it all. Uh, we covered most of it. I, the Where the farming changed big time from what I'm gathering of speaking with people is basically back in the 1965 when the regulations changed on how you were milking your cows and everything. Right. Where everybody had to start purchasing, like my grandfather did, on the uh, milking equipment yeah. of, you know, with the ball tank. And uh, it was in 65, it was 1960. So that right there, you had to make a large investment. And I think that's where a lot of people sat down and figured like, okay, do we take this large investment or right. not? Yeah, and that's I, a tough decision to that make. That was, a t you know, and I would yeah. imagine that's where, that's where a lot of the farms really took a big hit. And I don't, not just for Pittsburgh, but nationwide right absolutely so that was and then the next big um hit where like my uh there was two of us or there was two farms on hall stream uh, my father was one and the neighboring farm was the other one when they went on the bio in 85 and mm -hmm. i'm sure there was a lot of other farms in coas county that chose right. to go on the bio i know a couple of them in coas county went back into it right but i don't think there weren't a whole lot of people that went back into it when they were able to because right. you had to be sold out for a, I believe it was like a five to a seven year period right yeah well thank you for for sharing that that's, yep. that's very wow that's a lot absolutely <laughs> uh thank you yep. so what ways do you implement and practice environmental stewardship and conservation on your farm well we do there's a def, bunch of different ways actually we try to um, look at to preserving the land, but also keeping mm -hmm. the land up and clean. Uh, for instance, uh, like this past winter, we had a pretty decent size uh, logging job done on on the forestry part of our land. Oh, nice! Um, both actually, the forestry and parts of our fields, actually, to speak of, um, our fields on the edges of the tre uh, the fields, trees have overgrown. Mm -hmm, uh, reducing the amount of sunlight and then right. you get a windstorm tree falls in so you're going around it, it just makes a big mess and so we yeah. end up having um, wire logging out of Stewartstown New Hampshire uh, they came up and helped me out with that challenge um, as far as the fields right. it went very well um, we worked out a great plan to go in there in the middle of the winter fro freeze up a little trail in the middle of the field so they, oh, weren't, so they yep. weren't Least amount of soil disturbance and everything. Great, cut all awesome. The, cut all the trees around the field, clean that up, and not to damage the fields. And mm -hmm. so we tackled that. And then same after they got done there, of course it was still winter, and they went into the woods. Um, we had, it, it was some challenging areas mm -hmm. just because of terrain and everything, but yeah, um, they're very good. Um, Boyer logging were really good because um, especially with Ryan Boyer, He's a little older than I am, but um, mm -hmm. he looks at it when he's logging is 
he wants to be back there to cut more wood in the oh, future. Oh, absolutely, for sure. Uh, so him and I are both in the agreements. We do not believe in clear cut, mm -hmm. and we look at ages of growth and of trees, of which, of course, he knows a lot more about the trees, but mm -hmm. um, he looks at the age of the growth, and as he's cutting, he kind of determines on how the land has been growing them trees, whether if they're rotted or not. Right. Uh, we had some areas that we wanted to really promote the maple trees. Uh, there was a nice younger age maple trees, and uh, they were in between the 15, 20-year age bracket, mm -hmm. being crowded by the very old growth of some of the yellow birch, white right. birch. So we cut all the basically overgrown or aged timber out of there. Right. And pretty much promoted the younger maple wood. That's great. Ever and thought about sugaring on yeah. top of everything else? <laughs> In the next few years, probably not right off the bat, but it's uh, it's been talked about. We'll leave it at that. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Uh, that's a whole different part of agriculture right there. Oh, yes. That's what my husband likes to do, and it's opening my eyes. <laughs> yep. So, so, you know, with that, that's how we kind of look into the conservation is... Uh, like it doesn't matter if you're farming or in the forestry right keeping the land we try to make sure we're not going to screw up any wildlife habitat obviously we are in some ways but we were trying to promote for the wildlife right trying to promote new growth and help the second and third generation of the age class of the forestry to right. grow absolutely um, so yeah that was it was fun um come with some challenges due to terrain due to this winter of Mother Nature with her weather. <laughs> yeah, uh, yep. <laughs> but, you know, it, it made it fun. It made a great challenge, but it was fun. And um, I think uh, overall for what I wanted for an outcome, uh, it came out great. And uh, they, they did a great job. And like I said, our biggest thing was is uh, promote forestry growth and minimal soil disturbance. And they accomplished that yeah. 100%. Awesome. That's, that's great. And even just on the, the realm of conservation, we've talked about earlier about the, t the grant that you guys got from us, which was awesome. And right. now you just received another grant, which is great. To... Right. Which this, I mean, this other grant is going to be more for uh, feeding our cows. It's a, um, it's a way, it's a, it's to put our round bales into a elevated, uh, a round bale feeder where I could put two bales at a time instead of the old traditional round bale ring right. um, where that's set on the ground. So if you have any moisture or anything, you're starting to spoil some of your your, your, pro your, your product already yeah, right, exactly. right off the bat. So as it being elevated about a foot off the ground, it and there's a pan there, so the cows will be able to eat all the hay 100%. That's and nice. there's going to be a roof on top of it. So when it's raining, snowing, so forth, it's keeping all that moisture off the bale. So right. instead of having a 10, 20% loss in your round bale, I should be able to gain, I should hopefully 100%. Right. As long as the cows are not picky and eat what I put out there for them. Yeah. And you really take care of your cows. They have some luxury going on on the well, farm. The way I look at it is if I don't keep them happy, they're not going to make me money. So That's it's kind of, it's a win-win situation. The happier they are the better I'll do. So yeah, no, works, absolutely. Works out in both ways. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I like it. That's awesome. So um, obviously this is something you're, you're really passionate about farming. 
Is there specific areas that you're really passionate about when it comes to farming? The biggest thing is, you know, I want to keep the land clean and preserved. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, for instance, I mean, as people drive up the town road, I want them to be able to drive up and they're seeing nice, clean pastures, cows, yeah. happy cows, like everybody yeah. says, happy cows. Happy cows. <laughs> and, you know, a managed field. And as far, you know, like everything is seen from the road. You yeah. know, and as people drive by, they can see that I'm taking proper measures to manage for the manure. Yeah. You know, not just making a mess and... Right, right. You know, and then as far as um, we have the ATV trails that go through our property, which that goes through the forestry part. Right, And yeah. which is great for this year. I think the people that ride are going to be able to take the opportunity to see what forestry measures that I've taken yeah. working with the logger on certain aspects of like, you know, promoting the maple trees and some of the places of the softwood, trying to get different stages. And instead of seeing a dying forest just right. crumbling on top of each other. Right. Have you ever thought of like making maybe like a little kiosk somewhere and putting some information out? So people that are, are riding, like if they're curious to know more, they could just read something and learn um, more, educate them a little bit more. It, has it? crossed my mind yes uh just the idea of it's time wise um yeah. and then obviously it's time and resources uh, resources and everything yeah and um would love to do it it's just again it's trying to find the time yeah but if anybody is willing to help me out and fork some time over volunteering i'll be more than willing to help them out or show them where we can put it and you know be able to show that information across when people are adventuring yeah maybe for the tourism or whatever for sure maybe even like a 4-h project an eagle scout project maybe part of the clubs would be interested in yep. helping out since you're being so gracious and allowing them to have yep. the trail go across your land yep so yeah i mean that's that's that awesome was, that's a you know pretty i naturally never thought about having the local clubs as my both my daughters are in the 4-h club but they're always looking to try to do something that's actually a pretty a uh, neat little thing to didn't think of and that's yeah. where I try that's where I enjoy having conversations with everybody because that's where the brainstorming helps out yeah absolutely for sure <laughs> so are there any areas of support that you'd say that are lacking or there really is a need for farmers in co-ops yeah I mean there's a lot of challenges um living in co-ops living yeah. in Pittsburgh especially trying to do um farming or or any type of agricultural. Right, yeah. Um, I mean, even our neighbors trying to do maple syrup up there this year with Mother Nature's be making it a challenge. Yeah, I understand. We're going yep. through that too right. at home. Just last week, we had a little freak uh, ice storm. Um, yeah, what was with that? We were getting hail too. Yeah, it we was, got hail. Uh, <laughs> I know parts of Pittsburgh got hit really hard, an inch to two inches of ice on the trees a lot really of, oh wow so i know down in myland we didn't get that much <laughs> yeah it got pretty it got pretty bad uh yeah. i know a lot of damages and of course with maple syrup that's the worst time to get oh it oh my gosh yes you're trying to boil you're trying to fix your leaks and then you got tree branches falling down left and right so you got more leaks and it's yeah. just a lot of big headache and so yeah everything is a challenge right it's just Absolutely. to overcome these challenges for um, sure. resilience. I mean, for me, the biggest challenge are, is the distance for our needs. Uh, living in Pittsburgh, it was just everything's far. Yeah. Uh, as far as, you know, equipment store, uh, Derby Vermont is our 
which is an hour and a half, two hours. Right, two hours away. Or, I mean, we, you know, or you got to go further south uh, to like MB Tractor, you know, right. it's all below the notch. Yeah. So that makes it hard. Um, another thing too, like, is for our livestock. Uh, you want to send something to the auction barn. It's all the way down to Massachusetts. Mm. So I'm going to go all the way from one end of the state to the other end into, right. you know, that yeah. makes it a challenge. And the biggest thing is, is, I, you know, trying to sell uh, beef, you want to, you know, you got to go through uh, USDA. and mm, That's true. Our, you know, they're either booked over a year, year and a half out, but uh, the biggest issue with that one is distance. Mm. Nearest one is in St. John's Bay, Vermont. That's almost two, two hours away. So yeah. you have to go there to ask them if you can sell your beef. What's yep. the process? Uh, you got to you got call. You got to make an appointment, which is usually a year ahead. Oh man! And so you're trying to get everything, all your ducks a row a year ahead. Yeah, of time. that's a lot. And that's if you want to try to sell into you know out of like individual packages and stuff like that. Right. So it it throws a challenge for not only me but for a consumer that wants to buy a farm local. Yeah. So. You know, those are those are the things that we're overcoming. Those are the things I'm trying to work on to hopefully improve. Yeah. And see what's see what happens and go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully things will get easier in time. Well, maybe. we can only hope. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. So, um, what are some farming struggles in Coas related to the climate? What can you say about that? I mean, we just talked about obviously with maple farmers. It's a hard time of year right now. Right. Uh, anything in, in, that you'd like to talk about a little bit more about that? Well, like for us, I mean, you take like this winter was a an unusual. Well, not unusual, but just it different challenge. It's different. Yeah. Every yeah. every winter, every summer, every spring, every fall is always a different challenge. Right. Um, like last fall it it was a wet fall so that created a challenge which that's where i was thankful for my corral i was able to get the cows out of the mud yeah but the challenge i was noticing is the hay loss and that's when the grant came out with with to, us yeah with, with uh with you guys so that's when i applied for that hay feeder and got accepted so now in the next uh, few weeks i'll be purchasing that hay feeder again assembled and i'll be ready for the next year for next winter fall for feeding um in the hay you know hay season i mean three years ago i think i got done my first cut uh it was almost in august because of rain and all oh the time. my goodness and that's then, when you should be having a second cut exactly <laughs> so when you have mother nature that wants to rain every day yeah great grass is growing great but can't hay because you only got you make know, hay when the sun shines you gotta make hay when the sun shines <laughs> So that's where we went from square bales to a round bale, yeah. um, just because that was one of the challenges. Right. And, you know, Absolutely. It, yeah, it's easy said and done, but you got to go out, buy the round bale, buy the wrapper, mm. you know, $30,000, $40,000, and that's Oof. on buying used. So that's not brand new. So everything's expensive. So yeah. those are the challenges that, you know, climate change has changed for us because it's you just you have to prepare you have to always have to change with what the climate's doing mm -hmm. absolutely and, you know you're taking like this year i'm kind of seems like this we didn't get a whole lot of snow but we still have snow on our property in the hay fields in pittsburgh right um probably this week it's going to warm up and all melt but 
it's actually a little bit later than usually. Usually I could start spray manure by the 15th of April. I just don't, 15th, 20th, I don't foresee that happening. You're right. going to be pushing it more towards the end of April. Right. So that's, those are the challenges. You got to adapt. Up, we got to adapt with it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing. Yep. So over the course of all these years, have you really seen changes in consumer wants and needs from from local farms? Uh, yep. It seems to be now everybody wants to buy direct. Um, okay. You know, it, they want to know where their food comes from. Yeah. Um, basically what you're feeding them and, you know, and basically even like we do a big garden, we do sell a little bit for people that, or basically what we do is offer them to come and pick your own veggies in your garden. We do a big garden, so. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so we harvest anyone it, could come and just pick? Pick what you want. And like you know, that. basically that's it's on a idea. donation thing because it's kind of hard to set a price because right. everything comes in all at once or a certain time. Yeah. And we just tell everybody, you know, donate what you feel is appropriate. Some usually you make out better that way, anyways. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, but everybody wants you know big, biggest. Everybody is very particular on how where it comes from and what you're feeding or how you're growing it. Yeah. Uh, like for our animals, you know, we don't do no hormones or nothing. Um, That's awesome. We are not organic though. Um, I just because when our if our animals do get sick, we do provide them with you know, whatever medicine that right. perhaps yeah. they need. Yeah. Um, but as far as, you know, we don't use pesticides and all that on our hay. We use Good. trying to, we use very little of chemical fertilizer, but we still have to um, right. just because of our growing and everything. Right, uh, yeah. But that again, that's where, where this manure pit project came in handy where I can eliminate, not eliminate, but I can reduce the amount of, granular and liquid fertilizer that I use. Right. Absolutely. Cool. So. Yeah, that's neat. <laughs> so with all this talk about farming, what do you see the future of farming in Coas? Um, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I'm hoping like we still, as the Robinson family farm generations continue. Yep. Um, if there's going to be much more coming in just because a lot of the land, farmland that used to be, you know, farmland has now uh, developed into housing lots and everything. Right. Um, yeah. I think there's always going to be some sort of homestead farm, mm -hmm. somebody on a 10 acre farm and, you know, raise a few of their own things, which yeah. is great. As far as major operations like, and, even what I'm doing is not a major operation, but as a bigger scale, I don't think you're going to see much more than what I'm doing. Yeah. There's a two couple of us. Um, there's a, like I said, hopefully the ones that are still going can keep going and the next right. generation keep going. Yeah, absolutely. I hope so because you guys run America. <laughs> Try. <laughs> Yeah. So what advice would you have for new farmers that are that are starting out in Coas County or even just throughout, you know, the United States? Um, biggest thing is, is get to know your neighbors and help your neighbors and they'll help you out. Um, get involved with your Coas County Conservation District. Um, they're great on giving you resources, uh, places to go look or if you got a question, they may not 
have the answer right off then, but they will find you the answer. Oh, absolutely. Um, that's what they've done for me. Um, and, you know, they've, you know, like for that no-till uh, cedar, you know, that was something that was presented. They picked a coldest day of the fall <laughs> year. It was snowing and we're seeding a field. We were trying to seed a field out here in uh, late November, early Columbia. December. But, yeah. but it, was a, it was a great, it was a great uh, thing because we all got to work together. All the farmers got to work together to yeah. see, would this help us? Would this not? Yeah. And we all, I think everybody that day that was there, and there was, there was over a dozen people. Oh, yeah. I think we had probably, I don't have the numbers with me, but I know we had at least 20 right. people. A good, a good chunk of people yeah. showed interest. Uh, you, you put out the grant. To, yeah, I wrote the grant. And wrote the grant. Went well. We got it. When we did the, the introduction, you know, when we actually got the, the no-till drill, yep. we had, I think there was almost 60 people that it was came a big, to that. It was a big crowd. Well, you picked a lot warmer day for that. Well, yeah, that was like on the extreme of too hot where you're yep. standing there sweating. So we went yep. from one extreme to, to the other To the extreme. other one. But no, but, that were, you know, so that's a great tool. And I just feel that I think as perhaps things change and we keep continuing it's likely the co-ops will uh purchase more tools to rent and so yeah. forth and so yeah that's where i think we all need like i said we all need to work together you got to communicate mm -hmm. and you can make it work um yeah if, absolutely you know and like i said there's potentials and whatever scale of farming you want to do mm -hmm. whether if it's just for yourself sell for friends and family or you want to go a little bit bigger like what I do. Right. So. Absolutely. So hopefully more people will pick it up as time goes on. And I think part of doing this too, sitting down with you is great because it shows, you know, how much time and effort and energy is put into farming. And it just also opens people's eyes that may not get to experience, right. you know, this. So, um, yeah. And I, I think it's like you said, to experience. And then even if people that don't want to do it, at least when they're taking a ride and they see a farm or they see uh, somebody with land that has done something to their land, like, why are they doing that? Hopefully today, what I've explained is I'll help them answer their questions. Yeah. Not, you know, for the farming or for the forestry. It's like, why is he doing that? Well, he probably went and walked his woods during a hunting day. He's like, we need to start promoting something in the woods. Right. Out haying in the fields. Well, I need to get an X amount of daylight in here. That's why cutting the trees along the field. Uh, just mm -hmm. a little, I think it'll help answer some questions for some people yeah. why we do things a certain way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this was, this was wonderful. Keith, thank you so much no for problem. coming in and joining me. I really appreciate yep. it. Awesome. And thank you all out there listening to us and, and joining us. We're excited to hopefully bring you some more fun podcasts this fall with some other great people like, like Keith, Scott, and Joe that we had in studio today. So be on the lookout and we'll be hopefully doing some more soon. And thanks for coming and stopping by. <laughs> this podcast was recorded at Flume Media in Lancaster, New Hampshire. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, check out our website, www.coascountyconservation.org and subscribe to our monthly newsletter for upcoming events.